Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach, brought to you by the TeacherCast Educational Network. If you are in charge of professional development and looking to build an innovative digital learning experience, this is the podcast for you. Join us each week as we uncover strategies that tech coaches are using to drive their digital transformations one classroom at a time. And now for your host, with over two decades of experience working with tech coaches and edtech companies from all around the world, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Ask the Tech Coach podcast, episode number 218. And today we're going to be talking with an amazing instructional coach in the great state of California, not only just about his podcast, not only about the fact that he's a coach in multiple school districts, but also about his brand new book called Instruction Without Boundaries, Enhance Your Teaching Strategies with Technology Tools in any settings. But before we get to that interview, I want to say thank you so much for making this show part of your weekly development. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of posts come up recently. Um, You know, my top five podcasts, my top five coaching things. Uh, Recently, we had an article out in ISTE of, you know, the top X number of podcasts, and this show made it on the list. So thank you guys for being with us. Thank you for sticking along. And if you are here, If you are here listening for the first time, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We drop this show each and every Monday, and it's great to have you guys on here. If you're an instructional coach and you're kind of feeling alone, if you're kind of feeling like you have, you know, nobody to talk to, you're looking for help, maybe you have some questions about doing things. Perhaps you're trying to figure out if coaching is for you. We have an amazing professional development network. We have our teacher cast instructional coaches network. You can head on over to our website, asktheTechCoach.com. Scroll all down to the bottom. You can join our LinkedIn group. You can join our Facebook group. And we also have a group on a brand new website called K12Leaders.com. Lots of great places. Our Facebook group is blowing up. It has almost 1,100 people to it. And if you're an instructional coach or digital learning leader, this is the place for you guys to go. We're constantly doing polls, feedback, live shows, asking questions of each other and it is turning into really the home for instructional coaching on facebook so if you're out there and you haven't joined our club head on over to askthetechcoach.com scroll down to the bottom click on our little facebook group we are happy to have you guys and it is growing each and every week so thank you guys so much for again listening to this show and making teacher cast your home for professional development. My guest today is an instructional coach from the great city of San Diego. Not only is he a podcaster and has a great show called Navigating Education, the podcast, but he also is the co-host of a brand new book coming out from EduMatch called Instruction Without Boundaries, Enhance Your Teaching Strategies with Technology Tools in Any Sessions. Mr. Matt Rhodes, EDD, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I've always uh, listened to your show in the past and had some amazing guests, learned quite a bit. So I'm excited to be chatting with you today. I am so happy to have you on here and, and, you know, likewise been following you on Facebook. And the reason why we kind of got together is you're like, I got this great thing. I got this book coming out. Look at all the great stuff that's going on. And we reached out and got a chance to finally put this together. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today on Ask the Tech Coach. Um, San Diego podcast author. Where do you want to start? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I do a lot of coaching, instructional leadership for a consortium of adult schools. Um, It includes community college with about six schools. And we have fluctuations of students, but basically eight to 12,000 students at a given time. 
um, then close to about 120 teachers or so that we have and um, do quite a bit of professional development, coaching cycles, um, creating a lot of, for adult education, it's really interesting because all a lot of our teachers are part-time, so really trying to fit all this coaching in and um, you know, decentralized professional development so it can meet them where they're at um, at any time. So that's been kind of like a lot of work that I've been doing with that. Um, I also work with new teacher candidates at the university level, and I work with doc students from time to time as well. So I'm, I'm quite busy, but I, I just like to have my hands in a lot of an education so I know what's going on, so I can best meet um, whoever I'm serving, where they're at, and, and hopefully make a difference. So it's a little bit about me. So what's it like being a coach in multiple districts, especially at multiple levels? I mean, many of the people who are listening to this show have a building, a few buildings, but you got multiple, multiple districts, right? Yeah. So each of our schools is located within a different district, but it's within our consortium. So I think of me a little bit, I mean, if you're looking at it kind of the county level, but kind of not, the adult education set up a little bit differently than K-12 in California, but it's kind of like the district and county type viewpoint that we have, um, but it's kind of like synthesized because it's just the way it's organized. Um, you know, how schools are organized within a district, but within adult education is that they're associated with districts, but they're part of the consortium, which is funded through the state. So it's very interesting how it's organized, but it's kind of like the district and county view. And uh, my goal is to support each of our buildings and all and build the capacity of the teachers. But we're aligned in terms of our goals as if we're the district because we have the same three year plan where we have the same type of instructional goals and that type of thing. You said the term adult education a few times here. Are you primarily um, working with teachers? Are you primarily going into classrooms and doing, you know, student modeling, student lessons side by side with the teachers? What does a typical day usually look like for you? Yeah, so that, that sometimes does happen when I'm trying to share with them a new strategy or a new tool that we're working with with our students. Um, also, um, doing a lot of just one-on-one -on -one coaching with them, sitting down, observing their lesson, and then going over kind of like how things went. You know, how did these strategies work? Did we, did we you know, meet their goals for that? And then we goal set as well. Um, I also ran, um, we had a number of teams start on a new LMS um, the past uh, semester. So we've been really doing a lot of professional learning um, associated with that. Um, and I also put together our, our, our professional development website, our blog, as well as our um, teacher-led podcast for professional learning. So um, I do a lot of that throughout the week, uh, just give or take. Um, but a lot of it is just working with teachers in classrooms. So my goal is to get as many classrooms as possible um, to provide feedback, um, co-teach with them if necessary, as well as um, work with them one-on-one -on, -one on, um, their course design as well as just their coaching and, and goals. So really just is a lot of different things. Um, but it's cool going into different buildings and different types of classes, English as a second language, as well as nursing, as well as court reporting, as well as coding, as well as, um, just Microsoft um, platform. So there's a lot of different things that I'm doing in the content um, with our adult learners, usually aged 18 to 80. So it's it's really, really interesting. It's very, very niche for what I'm doing for this group of students in schools. 
I'm curious when, when you're a coach and you're working in a building or multiple buildings, you think of the principal as your boss, whether, you know, whether you're a district employee, building employee, you know, he's, he's a, you're authoritarian figure in the, in the building. If you're working for a consortium, do you think of the principal more as a client or is he still, I mean, obviously he's still the boss. He's like, you know, he's, he's the of principal. But I mean, is it a different relationship when, when you don't really work for the district? Yeah, it's really interesting because it's, I kind of feel like I have like six bosses or even eight bosses that I'm working for. And my goal is to really support them and their goals and their teachers' goals. So it's kind of, you know, I would say that that's, that's the kind of the feeling it is. And, um, and every building you go to is different. The relationships are different, but that's what I really enjoy about it is that, you know, it's, my days are very varied and, there's always something new that's going on working with a, you know, different group of people, um, you know, every day and, and working with leaders and um, just really gives you kind of a good idea of, you know, what's going on and, um, and how you can take examples from other places to help support others. What are you noticing these days as the year starts off? I mean, it's, it's October now. Um, are you finding it easy to work with teachers? Are you finding teachers are still stressed or I'll even ask, are you finding you have a lot of new teachers because of all the turnaround in these school districts? Yeah. So it's a mixed bag, like you mentioned. So we have a lot of new teachers, um, a lot of new teachers that haven't taught before. Um, so really just getting um, their feet wet and just teaching them sometimes the basics, which is, which is good. Um, as well as um, we have, some teachers that definitely feel, um, I think, you know, it's been tiring over the last few years. But I think that this year, though, at least with the start, it seems like there's a little bit more energy um, than over the last two. Um, and that's kind of like our mixed bag right now. I mean, it's I, I think that there's more of a yearning and maybe because the beginning of the year still to really want to, you know, build our capacity, build our skills. But to me, it's it's about building a culture where you want to build those relationships with people so they want to do that. So to me, that's kind of, you know, hopefully over the work of the last, uh, you know, year or so working with this group is, is that, you know, that there's these opportunities for them and they take advantage of it. And so far um, they have. So um, definitely exciting, but I'm kind of right now pushing my pedal and put out the gas a little bit in terms of just kind of letting them get into the rhythm after the beginning of the year things and um, really having them just focus on just the things that we've learned and covered. And then we'll, um, you know, dabble throughout the rest of the semester and then throughout the rest of the year, you can't overwhelm. Um, so I, I think it's just, you know, start off with the first year initiatives and then just build, build from there and just think less is more. I, I'm curious because you mentioned our secret word here, which is relationships, right? So it's kind of like, you know, PB's Playhouse goes off, right? Um, is that easy to do when you, or is it difficult when you, when, you know, they know that you don't work for the district. They know that you're just brought in to spend some time with them, not to, not to, not, not to belittle the, the relationship, but I mean, you know, you're brought in to do this task. How is that set up? Um, are you there all day? I mean, do you go to faculty meetings? We talk a lot here about, you know, how at a faculty meeting, the principal says, this is our guy and this is what they're going to do. And they're spending all, the, I mean, if you just walk in at 
whatever <laughs> time and you leave it with it. How do you build those meaningful relationships with teachers? So that way they can be vulnerable and you move the ball forward. Yeah, it's all about visibility, like you said, and building those relationships and those meetings when you're at the school sites. I mean, I'm at a school site every day. I try to make myself visible. I like to go to staff meetings when I can. Um, I like just to walk in the classrooms, provide just a really good positive bit of feedback, always leave something positive for them to look at, um, you know, and just walk and just, you know, have conversations with them before class or um, at the end of class. And just, I think the visibility piece is huge in terms of that relationship piece. And also just having them understand kind of like what your role is, what you're trying to do. And, you know, that's, me coming in about almost a year and a half ago with this position, you know, kind of changing a little bit from my previous, my predecessor um, has been, that was a challenge, I think in more year one, but now I think everyone in the second year has a really good idea of kind of who I am, what I am going to do to help support them and their students and um, you know, how, how they can work with me. What's your biggest challenge so far this year? This year, um, I just think moving teams over from uh, to a new LMS um, has been challenging because it's just a whole new tool, a whole new thing um, of doing things. And, you know, there's various um, educators that have, you know, more experience and, you know, more utility in wanting to use it. And um, also there's been some back-end issues um, with student enrollment at times. We've had to work with a number of our vendors and working with a number of these engineering teams has been um, not necessarily super fun at times. But I mean, outside of that, I think that that has been single most, the most hard challenge of implementing um, a new LMS with a, a couple teams. I, I would imagine that your buildings, because they're in different districts, you've got the possibility of going in several directions. One could be bringing in Canvas, one could be bringing in Teams, and one could be bringing Google. Yeah, so what we have is, we, luckily, we use Canvas across the consortium, but we have okay. Google districts, but we have Microsoft and Google districts. So um, the tools are different um, within each of the schools. So it's it's um, definitely, that that is a challenge, um, trying to figure out, you know, um, which ones would best suit um, our teachers. But at the same time, what I try to do is try and keep um, our tool bag to like three to five of these similar tools and go with them and see if there's that similarity overlap. So what's the relationship like with the principals kind of going back to that concept? I mean, you, you're meeting with them or they're meeting yeah. with your upper who then gives you guys the directions to push up. Yeah. So we, How does we, that... yeah. So we meet with individual teams of um, principals and that really is, we set our goals for what we want to do, but it all comes back to our consortium's goals. So um, basically everything we're trying to do is to build from our three-year plan and also the school's individual plans, but they align. So um, that's kind of essentially how it works. And then we determine kind of what they want in terms of that capacity building, but it's all very similar and in, in aligned. Talking today to Dr. Matt Rhodes, the amazing podcast host of a show called Navigating the Present and Future of Education, the podcast. Um, how'd you get into podcasting? Why did you get into podcasting and when did you get into podcasting? Oh, yeah. So for Navigating Education, the podcast, it's um, certainly it's just like I mentioned you before the show, writing books and podcasting is kind of like my former professional development. Yep. And I get to meet people like you. Um, 
And when I'm interviewing them, I'm taking notes and uh, essentially just learning from them and taking bits and pieces that I think that could best fit for my role and what I'm doing in my context of education. And that's, and I think just if you get the opportunity for people to listen to our conversations, I mean, I think that's, I think that's great. And you're amplifying voices at the same time. So I think it's a win-win for everyone. And I think that a lot of podcast hosts treat it that way. You can find his podcast over on his website, Matthew Rhodes, R-H-O-A-D-S dot com. And all of his shows I'm seeing are, uh, are amazingly produced on YouTube as well. Do you have a favorite episode? Do you have a favorite guest or a favorite moment? Because I've been oh. thinking about this now. I mean, I've been doing this for 11 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, like a lot of these just start to pop out. A lot of these kind of blend together. But like, what what have you picked up? Or I'll even rephrase the question for you. What have you learned from podcasting that you can apply to your instructional coaching? Yeah. So um, one of my favorite episodes is actually um, episode 11, I believe, of the podcast. And that was when I was recording on Zoom versus uh, StreamYard. And um, I was talking to Dr. Zach Rochelle about um, cognitive load theory. And I feel like that that applies so much to providing anyone, any sort of instruction, whether you're coaching or whether you're teaching. And, um, to me, that was really instrumental. Um, I also enjoyed, um, and just an example of how that would fit to my, um, coaching is, is that when I provide feedback, I'm only providing like three things of feedback and keeping it really simple. I don't want to, you know, provide too much information for them. Also, just when I'm presenting information via slides, I'm trying to make it not very, um, not much text, um, very visually oriented. Um, so just basic stuff like that for that ex uh, um, episode, for example. Then I also had um, recently um, Lenny uh, Rodell who wrote uh, Evolving with Gratitude and it. And I think just some of her gratitude practices are fantastic um, in terms of setting up a professional development with some of those entry activities relating to gratitude and then ex activities relating to gratitude. I think that those are um, really fantastic um, for educators to take a look at, especially during like the reflection pieces, um, if you provide those opportunities for them, especially with journaling. Um, yeah, I mean, those are just two that come to my mind right now, but there's so many uh, amazing guests that talk about leadership, ed tech, instruction. I mean, all the things that interrelate with what I like to do and what I am doing. And uh, I'm sure for you, Jeff, that's very similar in terms of all these amazing people that you get to talk to. I, I've been very fortunate over the last 11 years with the podcast, had an opportunity to work with amazing companies, amazing co-hosts, and, and always having a chance to work with amazing educators. And I love the fact that through podcasting, you can take your own lens and shift it and then shift it. I, I look at every time I do a podcast, it's like my educational Rubik's cube. You never, <laughs> it, it's still going to be a cube. It's still going to have all these different colors, but somewhere you're going to turn one of those sides and you're going to be able to look at this from a completely different point of view. And, and that leads us into something that you just recently published with Edumatch along with Shannon Moore and uh, Jan, Jan, Janelle, Janelle McLaughlin. Um, instruction without boundaries tell us a little bit about the book what made you write it and uh how was it yeah so all of us really truly believe that teachers 
moving forward, I think teachers that are coming into the profession and even uh, veteran teachers, I think the expectation will be over the next couple years, five, 10 years, is that you need to have the ability to teach within any sort of setting, whether you are teaching in person, within a blended learning setting, as well as if you're going to teach online. I think the teachers need to have a toolkit of strategies that you can utilize within any of these settings. And that was the premise of our book. And our goal is to provide research-based strategies that can build this toolkit for them so that they can teach within any setting and feel confident in doing so. And um, that that's ultimately, um, you know, we all felt that, that was something that needed to be written. We're going to make sure on our show notes over here at episode 218 that we have all the links. We'll make sure we have the Amazon link and everything. But I think the question that we, all of our coaches have, especially this year, feels like, Matt, we've been saying this forever, this whole, <laughs> let's, get back, let's get back to normal thing, right? But how do we support our teachers? How are we moving forward post-pandemic here? Um, how do we create classrooms and schools where we have this ability to teach no matter how we're doing it? On, online, in person, blended, future ready, flipped classroom. Yeah. What is the going trend these days? What do you and your co-authors recommend that teachers be doing? And what can we do as coaches to support them? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it just all boils down to is it matters of like what your dispositions are as a school district and organization. If you truly believe in equity and access, then you need to provide the programs that you can provide teachers to teach effectively in these settings and have the ability to, um, if you provide those choices within your district or educational organization for different modalities of learning, then they need to be prepared. You can't have people that are not prepared. And to me, the school choice base in that equity piece is, is, is huge. And I think that providing instructors that can do it um, in a way where um, your transforming learning experiences is, 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 is essential. And so um, it all begins, like I said, with those dispositions. But then as a coach, you want to focus on what strategies work within all these settings. So I like to think about if I'm doing it, if I'm thinking about synchronous live instruction for maybe 10 to 15 minutes within a um, sequence, I, we talked a lot about cooperative learning strategies from Kagan. So our thinking routine strategies and integrating them with slides, Jamboard, those types of things. And you can scaffold them together to, you know, utilize throughout that 10 to 15 minute sequence for that synchronous instruction. So that's just one example of what we talked about, um, especially in our engagement and collaboration chapters. Um, so that's one of the goals. Um, but also, for example, let's focus on digital classroom routines, which builds digital literacy, which also relates to equity and access, right? Because if you don't have digital literacy, how are you able to access various content areas of information? So we really focused on, you know, regardless of what setting you're teaching in, you need to build those digital classroom routines, but also if you're teaching in multiple settings, you have to marry them together with in-person classroom routines. So building that foundation. So, um, so that's just kind of like a little bit of um, what we talked about, but we covered things like project-based learning. We covered things like um, design thinking. Um, 
We covered formative assessment, which I believe is we're in the age of formative assessment and feedback. So um, I think that we just cover a number of these strategies that can be utilized within any of these settings. And um, hopefully if you're a coach, you can take a teacher and, you know, look at what are their strengths. A lot of teachers are doing amazing strategies thus far. And you can think about, hey, maybe you're using a Google Jamboard and you're utilizing maybe like a strategy like such as like think, write, pair, share, or notice and wonder protocols. And you can say, hey, you know, you can do this in person, you can do this online, and you can do this, you know, for example, you could start it in person and then you could have them do it, um, you know, asynchronously and just provide them like these examples of how this can happen and build their capacity from there. I think the book is fantastic. It's broken down into, I believe, five big sections, five big chapters. Um, you can read it section by section. You can read the whole thing cover to cover. Let's take a moment because there are, you know, five major pillars here. Uh, chapter one, classroom routines without boundaries. What are we going to be talking about that? How do we create classroom routines but without boundaries? So essentially what we argue is, is just what I was mentioning is we need to build digital literacy skills, but in terms of our classroom routine. So, I mean, it can be very basic things. For example, just getting students to learn how to access the LMS. How do you access the LMS? How do you access the tools? How do you utilize the tools that you're using within your LMS? But also thinking about the marriage of possibly in-person classroom routines, such as entering, accessing the classroom, accessing um, the devices, how do you properly use the devices? Also, this notion of digital citizenship, how, you know, do you behave in online spaces as well as in-person spaces? I mean, there's different guidelines for each of those realms. So we really talked a lot about that within chapter one. And I think that regardless of, even if you're teaching fully in person, you probably have some aspect of your classes digital. So we felt that you know, it would fit to many people because you got to build these skills and routines so that, um, you know, the, the instruction that you're providing is effective and it, 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 it's, it's actually, um, you know, over time will become easier for you. In chapter two, you're talking about student engagement in the classroom, but without or with de with with defined Wow. Let me start that one over it's been a long day, everybody. Student engagement in classrooms without defined borders. And I'm curious about that because even today I was at a meeting and somebody was mentioning that they, you know, as a coach, they went into a classroom. The teacher thought they were doing student engagement because they were allowing the kids to be engaged. <laughs> what, what they didn't realize was that they were creating it. They were making all the decisions. They were telling people what to do. And it wasn't really the same definition of student engagement that I think the coach and the teacher had in mind. What is student engagement in classrooms without defined borders means? So we, we talked a lot about like cognitive engagement as well as synthesizing it in forms of like active learning strategies. So, um, you know, it doesn't mean that the student is actually learning when they're actually doing something. So we need to look at first, one, even if they're doing something, are they aligning it to the goals of the lesson? Does that, and then also, um, you know, we want to look at, you know, how can we make it, you know, we talked a lot about concept mapping and prediction strategies in this chapter, which um, you can 
you know, do a lot with within any sort of content. Um, and we align that with just being really intentional in, in terms of, you know, how are you using these strategies to align with your lesson goals, which then you can then assess for performance and determine over time whether students, you know, were actually engaged because did they actually pick anything up? Chapter three, you talk about student collaboration. One of my favorite topics, obviously, you know, triplet dad. I'm always about making sure that kids <laughs> are working together and doing things. Talk to us a little bit about uh, student collaboration. So we talked a lot about in that chapter, um, I did a lot of um, Kagan cooperative learning strategies, but we also focused on like structured academic controversy and Socratic seminar. But we, but we, you know, put a twist to it is that, you know, you can do these within any setting and you can do it essentially, um, I think, structured academic controversy asynchronously mm -hmm. if you have the scaffolds in place. Um, we mentioned um, jigsaw strategy that you can utilize within any setting, um, digital gallery walks versus in-person gallery walks, um, and strategies such as... Um, collaborative concept mapping. Um, so there, there's quite a bit in there. Um, but I think what we do is the first couple chapters is build a little bit of a foundation because we go in later in the book and talk about like design thinking. Yeah. So you can take some of these strategies and incorporate it within design um, thinking frameworks. Um, you know, for example, um, within design thinking, um, you know, prototyping, you can be using a strategy such as prediction. Um, you know, how are you going to predict based on these number of variables or this fact pattern that we have here? So um, we really go in and talk about that later on. So um, that's a little bit of what we talk about in the collaboration chapter. When we're looking at using this book or when we're looking at our own instructional coaching models, one of the things that keeps coming up to me. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this because, you know, you work in multiple schools, you work in multiple buildings, and I know you have a chance to work with coaches around the, the country. Why do you think, even now, school districts don't understand the role of the instructional coach? Um, Teachers don't understand the role of the instructional coach. Yeah. Instructional coaches don't understand the role of the instructional coach. Like, if you were, if you were to, you know, I drop you off on Mars and it was in order to get oxygen, you have to explain the role of the instructional coach. What's your thoughts? And you know, this is East coast to West coast here. So yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. It's funny in California, for example, there's not as many instructional or digital learning coaches as in, I would say the state of Illinois in the Midwest and also in States. Um, I believe you're in Philadelphia, correct? So uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's very interesting how various parts of the country view instructional coaches or invest in instructional coaching. Um, and I also think that when you think about um, a lot of the literature, maybe five to 10 years ago, there wasn't as much discussion or widespread notion of instructional coaching um, as more based on instructional leadership. Um, so I, I really think that there's not like a uniform idea of how people want it to work within um, schools and districts across the country, because I think everyone has their own needs and education is very localized. But I do think instructional and digital learning coaches essentially should be and essentially alongside with their instructional leader implementing policy in terms of 
hey, how are we going to, um, you know, build that capacity? How are we going to fill this gap for our teachers and, you know, give them the confidence and efficacy to essentially uh, grow and have, um, you know, amplify what they're doing and, and focus on strength-based um, I've seen it be used for um, really evaluation, and I think that there's a space for that. But I also think that, um, you know, coaching, especially if it's um, you build a culture of coaching within your organization um, over time, I think the instruction of teachers will improve, although you do need to align parts of what you're doing as a coach to um you know, the professional growth plans as well as accountability. So I think that you just got to be all in as an organization and kind of have an idea of how it works. And I just think sometimes people don't know how um, it should work for them. And um, sometimes I just think people need to go look at what other people are doing and learn from them and figure out how it can best meet their needs. I'm noticing a lot, <laughs> unfortunately, I will say a lot of coaches that are right now either looking at or have already left the position. And obviously we're not going to mention names, but there are some, uh, you know, I'll say big name instructional coaches out there that, you know, you, you, you go in on day one as a coach and you, next thing you know, you're substitute teaching for the week yeah. or you're, you, you lost your coaching job because you've now been made a third grade teacher for yeah. the year. Yeah. What do you say to these people? How do you, how do you support these people? These are questions that like, you know, Sue and I ask each other constantly with the, with the instructional coaches network and with the podcast, like how do we support these people who want nothing more than to be helping other teachers and they want to just give up their entire career, their pathway, their yeah. hard work. And I'm struggling with this. I just, think, I just think that right now in education, it's, it's, it's really difficult time in terms of the teacher shortage. It's been, um, you know, it's across the country. Um, people are still just treading above water. And I just think it's in general, a very difficult time in education. I, I think that um, probably five, six years ago, it wasn't the same climate that we were in, in terms of instructional coaching, especially if it was a, a district or organization that really invested in it. Um, so I really think that that um, has something to say about it, as well as, like I mentioned before, it's about dispositions and values and how you're going to fund um, these positions. And I, I, the research is clear is, is that a, a, a good instructional coaching, good instructional leader can take a third, you know, a, a, in terms of experience, a year three teacher and make them an 11 year teacher. I mean, in a couple of years. To me, that just shows dividends. And if you care about student learning, that's you want to be, you know, putting in programs that can help build that capacity of your of your educator and your in your teacher workforce so that um, you know, as a result, you'll see in a lot of these other metrics that states and accountability measures are are utilizing that they're gonna, you know, it'll look good. It's just something you gotta be patient about if you're looking at it from like the you know, the highest level, you just got to be patient with it. And you've got to learn from other people. If you're out there and you have questions about anything, if you're sitting there going, how do I become a better coach? What do I do? Uh, you might be sitting there saying, 
hey, that's me they're talking about. I'm kind of drowning. I need some help and advice. That is why we have Ask the Tech Coach here each and every Monday. And, of course, we have our Instructional Coaches Network. Find us on Twitter at Ask the Tech Coach. Matt, I would love to have you come back on and do a second round of this. I'd love to invite you to come on with your other co-host to do a second round of this. Um, where does somebody go to find out more information about the great work that you're doing, whether it be the podcast, book, yeah. blog, whatever? Yeah, just go check out MatthewRhodes.com, R-H-O-A-D-S, or uh, follow me on Twitter at MattRhodes1990. Um, and very, you know, keep active in terms of the, my blog, podcasts, and, uh, and books. And I just, you know, like supporting educators, and I hope that we can all learn from each other. We want to say thank you one more time to Matt Rhodes for coming on. Don't forget to check out his book. Don't forget to check out his podcast. He is absolutely crushing it from the start. See, that was a tip for your, for your previous book we didn't even talk about yet. <laughs> we want to say thank you guys out there for making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is That's the Tech Coach Podcast, episode number 218. Next week, we've got some great things coming on. We've got a fantastic guest. And don't forget to check out our brand new newsletter each and every Monday morning. We don't not only drop a podcast, but we have our newsletter out on LinkedIn and also out on our mailing list. So check all that stuff out. And on behalf of Matt and Sue and everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to Ask the Tech Coach, hosted by Jeff Bradbury of the TeacherCast Educational Network. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at AskTheTechCoach or online at www.askthetechcoach.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.